from the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby. Hello, big world. It's good to have you here. My name is Sven Erlinson. I am the host of the Badass Counseling Show. You have found us. And it's great to have you here. I am joined in studio by Rob the Rocket and KC up in the booth. Rob, how are you today? Rocket standing by. The clock is operating. We're underway. Lovely. If you, whether you are tuning in from Indianapolis or Minneapolis, Peoria, Illinois, or Victoria, B.C., from Nice, France, or Venice Beach, outskirts of Dublin or the outback of Australia. We love having you here. We've got a couple of very, very interesting guests today, and uh, you see if you can find the common thread, if there is one. Rob, why don't you tell us about Rebecca first? I am happy to, Sven. Here we go. Rebecca wrote to us and said, I'm 43 years old, and I started my healing journey last year. I have your book and do all the work, listen to your podcast, and watch your TikToks. I just have to say that I love your way of no-nonsense counseling. Also, on top of doing all the work you recommended, I am also in EMDR therapy. I meditate, do breath work, and I have done plant medicine for healing. But I am at a standstill. I feel like I can't move and sometimes I can't breathe. All I can do is cry and blame myself for my childhood, my life, and my kids' trauma. The best way to describe what I was born into is a concentration camp, a.k.a. a camp of nightmares, full of sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and neglect. Late last year, I ended a six-month relationship, which catapulted me into healing. I have become a zombie in my life, just existing for my children, who also have trauma. And now I feel I am not even good enough to exist for them. Even at EMDR, we are having a hard time because my body and mind basically lock up and say, quoting here, fuck this shit. My kids deserve to have a happy and healthy mom, and I want to be a happy and healthy mom in person. Can you help me bust out of this concentration camp. And then we also heard from Lance who said, Sven, I need your help. I'm currently reading your book and I am an avid listener of your show. My life has been a roller coaster ride from youth to present. My relationship with two adult children from my first marriage is, well, not very good or non-existing. They are very angry with me and I fear my slump and borderline depression over this will cause stress on my current relationship. And I love my wife dearly. Rebecca and Lance, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi, glad to be here. Great to have you here. We're going to dive right in. Got a lot of ground to cover. Uh, Rebecca, I'm going to start with you. You said that last year you ended a six-month relationship which catapulted you into healing. So what I, if would it be safe to say then that prior to the end of that relationship, all of the uh, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and neglect from your childhood, et cetera, had been locked down tight and that relationship breaking up sort of made it all uh, explode out into the open or because you say it catapulted you into the healing. So where was all that other stuff prior to the end of that relationship? It was stuffed away. Got it. I was more worried about healing my children than myself. Sure. And uh, that's an honorable and uh, noble thing. So you say then you've been in EMDR and uh, meditation, breath work, plant medicine for healing, etc. Uh, sort of getting after it from all fronts, it sounds like. And yet you've reached a standstill. Is that accurate? Yes. So much so that you can't breathe. Yes. I first want to say this, and that is, Rebecca, if you've kept something locked down, literally last night, 
literally last night, I had just finished dinner and I got an emergency phone call from one of my clients who had a 30-something woman, 30-something-year-old woman, and who had a very similar uh, childhood extraordinarily bad childhood. And since we've been working together, she had had it locked down as well. And since we've been working together, um, it has all come up. And she said, we, she and I haven't had a session for several weeks because um, she was out of town, I was out of town, that sort of thing. And she said she hasn't been able to sleep. She's been barely, to use your words, barely able to breathe and so forth. And she said, Sven, is this normal? What's going on? What's going on? I said, Yes, it's a very normal reaction to an abnormal set of circumstances. And you kept it locked down for 30 years. And you made the decision for us to begin to unlock it. And once you unlock it, then it all can come out at all sorts of different times. Once we begin to stir it up. And the goal is partly to stir it up so that we can flush it out. As you've heard me say a million, billion times, you know, following the show and stuff like that. So once it's stirred up, it can be tremendously overwhelming. And what you're experiencing right now, Rebecca, is precisely why so many people don't want to go into counseling, don't want mm -hmm. to unlock the vault, don't want to touch it because they fear it would overwhelm me, okay? And just trying to make it go away or just trying to cope isn't enough. That you're, first of all, huge kudos to you for having the courage to even go into it. Huge kudos, mm -hmm. kudos to you too, Lance, for even being in this fucking conversation or what the hell's going on with me. But as this stuff comes yeah. up, as this stuff comes up, there's gotta be a vent. There's gotta be a way of putting it into words and it's methodical work and it sucks and it's a pain in the ass and it's not easy and it's overwhelming. And at times we can't breathe. And at times, boy, I start journaling about this and I just get fucking depressed and I just want to take a nap. Good. Take a nap. And there are times, but, but we have to methodically get it out. Journaling is one way. Writing those letters is another way. Sedona method, as I talk about in the book, is another way. But there ha you have to be methodical, and it sucks. It'd be nice if there were just a pill I could take or just some flashing lights I could watch, and then it would all go away. It doesn't work that way. Those are all good tools. Don't get me wrong. Everything you're doing, fantastic. I'm a big fan of. But there needs to be the flushing of it into words. The th but I want to uh, pop over, so I'm going to pop over back right back to you, Rebecca. But I want to ask Lance, for my clarity's sake, Lance, you say roller coaster ride from youth to present. What the fuck does that mean? What are we really talking about here, brother? Well, I mean, growing up, my uh, mom had um, bipos bipolar. So I saw that as a kid, you know, and, and, you know, when I was really young, I didn't really understand it. And then as I got older, I, you know, I, I knew when my mom would, you know, be off her meds or something, you know, she would. So, you know, having to deal with that as a young person, a young man, a young boy um, was, you know, very hard. What was the biggest effect of that on you? What did, what did that cause you? To, how did you have to compensate for mom being on meds, off meds, mom being bipolar? What happened to that boy? To be honest with you, Sven, like, you know, it's, it's, it was a bit of embarrassment, right? Because, you know, kids knew that you're a small town, right? So other kids knew that your mom was like that. And mom did some pretty crazy stuff when she was high. And, uh, yeah, that, it was very hard on all of us. I have two older brothers and younger sister, yeah. And within your home, how does the child have to compensate for a mother who, whether she's high or whether she's low, 
and it sounds like rarely even keeled, uh, whether she's high or she's low, she's sort of, and, and you feel free to tweak what I'm saying or tell me, no, that's not it, Sven. But it's like she's sucking all the oxygen out of the room. It's all about whatever mom's mood is today, this week, this month, whatever. Um, what's it like living that way where the parent is sort of getting all the attention? Yeah, it, it's hard. And then, you know, and also my dad having to deal with that, you know, and um, he was, we're, we were farmers, right? So he's busy. So we kind of always have to pull up, pick up the slack, I guess. And, and um, yeah. And what was the single hardest part about having a mom who was in this condition? What was the single hardest part for you, the boy, when you were six, when you were nine, when you were 13? Was it the embarrassment or was it that you weren't getting your needs met? And if so, what need are we talking about? Oh, yeah, that's that's a very valid. Like, I, I, you know, as a young kid, I had to pack my lunch. And, and I'm not being, you know, not that that's... <laughs> You know, a kids can pack their own lunch, but you know, you, that's just something that you know you think your you know mom being at the farm and stuff. You know, you think that would be, you know, she would kind of look after that. But there was times when she was just not around, couldn't get off the couch. You know, when she was low, and when she's high, it was out of control. And uh, and so your needs. What was the biggest need for you? To your point, I mean, you're a farm kid. All right, I grew up the son of uh, both my parents had grown up on farms, World War II, the depression. So I know what farm folk are like, right? They're tough people and they were, they know hard work. So it ain't the hard work. That's the problem. What need above all else do you think was going unmet for you? Was it the need for attention, affection, uh, kindness, loving words, just time together, just call what need of that little boy was going unmet the most? Oh, I just think, Maybe just stability, you know, mm. just mom being mom. Mm. Stability. She was there, you know. She was there. At, at, you know, at times it was it was great. She was mom. Okay. Was, you know that was it. And then you know both sides of that up and down. All right. Let me ask you a strange question. What's the biggest thing, if you were to be really honest? And I and Dad was the stable one. It sounds like, but if you were to be really honest. What's the biggest thing you wish your father would have done? Um, well, let's just say he should have been more understanding of it. I think. Of her? I think he couldn't have. Wait, he uh, should have yeah, been more understanding towards her? I think so because dad was, um, I don't think he understood. He couldn't handle it. He couldn't understand um, how to handle and what was the impact uh, of that on mom's, you? Mom swings with the meds. And- what was the impact of dad not being more understanding of her? What was the impact of that on you? Um, me, <laughs> I guess, wanting to not be in the house. So he should have um, done what? But- what precisely should he have done such that you wouldn't want to run out of the house? What should he have done? I guess just been more loving to her and more... I'm not sure how to say that, like, because they fought a lot. My parents fought a lot. And and so, so who's who did it fall on to be loving, more loving towards mom? If it wasn't dad, whose job was it to be more loving and understanding towards mom's illness? Did it fall on you? Is where I'm going with that. Yeah. Was yeah. it your job to take care of mom? Is what I'm yeah. asking. Was it? Yeah. More or less, I you know I had to. There was times when I had to be the one that, that phoned my 
aunt and say, mom's sick again. How did mom like it when you would treat her? What was the house expectation or what were you praised for in your treatment of her? Um, well, she was, she was good to me when, you know, like she was never mean or bad to me. But that's not the question. The question is what was sort of the expectation of how you would treat her? Oh, just to uh, be looking after her and watch the order kind of thing, yeah. And I imagine the older boys are out working, is that right? Yeah. The fields or, or the animals or whatever. Um, and so looking after her, and did that include sort of being emotionally sort of placating and supportive and so forth of mom? Were you expected to be emotionally pouring love into mom's love cup? I would say so, yeah. Okay, right. Okay. And you realize how that's an inversion of roles, right? That obviously it's not just mom yeah. wasn't packing the sandwiches. It's you're taking care of her and you're tending her emotional needs. You do see that that that, that was her role and you basically took on the role of parent. You see that, right? Yeah. And the underlying yeah. message being conveyed to the child is what? <laughs> I'm not sure how to you say You don't that, matter. But... Your needs don't yeah. matter. Your feelings don't matter. Your needs are subject to the needs of the person with the disease. Right. Fundamentally, I'm co-opting your life to make to meet my needs. And it's right. happening right there under the roof. And I have to believe if dad and mom are fighting and dad's not understanding of that, uh, of mom's disease, then dad's all in favor of, hey, I'll lose one of my workers if he'll just stay inside and take care of mom. Yeah. He was willing. So in, in a way, everyone's buying into the idea that we're going to sell off Lance to the disease that this kid's job is to take care of mom. And in a way, to some degree, at least, well, let me ask you, let me ask the question this way. If you were to put a percentage on it, Lance, and I'm coming after you uh, right after this, Rebecca, so hold tight. Uh, Lance, if you were to put a percentage on the percent of your childhood that you lost taking care of your mom and the, the whole fucking arrangement, what percent of your childhood did you lose to that arrangement and to mom's disease, to taking care of her emotionally and physically and so forth. What percentage of your childhood did you lose? Well, it's funny you ask me that because in my journaling that I was doing about my life, I have a hard time remembering anything from about, I don't know, say seven to 12. Why? I honestly, I don't. Why? What happened during Just those years that, that you're... Well, that's when... Go ahead. Yeah, that's when she was the sickest and that's when she was really out of control. And just out of curiosity, if that's the, when she was sickest and out of control, what was, if you were to speculate, just take a wag, take a swing at it, what is the biggest feeling you felt, the most powerful feeling that you felt when mom was at her sickest and out of control when you were seven to 12? What was the biggest, give me a feeling word, mad, sad, bad, glad, fear, excited, elated, frustrated, melancholy, blue, agitated, lethargic. What was the biggest feeling that you felt during those 12, five years? I, I would actually say that I was mostly sympathetic for her. Well, that was your job to be sympathetic. And I'm sure you felt bad and she's your mother and you love her and you miss her. But when you're laying in your bed at night, apart from feeling bad for mom, what did you feel of your own feelings? Or did you not really, have, you didn't feel fear? Oh, yeah. No, I was def I was definitely scared at times because not not that I was going to get hurt or anything, but she. What was the biggest fear? Something was going to happen to mom. Well, yeah, something was going to happen to her, or she might take her own life. Even to that point, you know what I mean? Like, it got was... it, got it. Okay, and then so if we were to back up and answer the question, 
uh, in uh, whether it's ages seven to 12 or your whole childhood in consideration, what percentage of your childhood was lost to basically mom and her disease and your life being all about her? What do you pick? pick yeah, probably, probably 40%. 40%. So nearly half my childhood was lost to my mother. And so the underlying message to the child is you don't matter. So then the child's going to spend the rest of their life compensating for that or living in that belief system that I don't matter, my needs don't matter, my wants don't matter. And then either the, the child, now an adult child, spends his life trying to get those needs met or and or spends their life still in that mindset of doing everything for everyone else because I don't matter. I'm going to come back to you, Lance. Rebecca, you, you pose a, serious, a few serious questions. You say, I feel like I can't move, can't breathe sometimes. All I can do is cry and blame myself for my childhood, my life, my kids' trauma. Best way to describe what I was born into, and then you go on to talk about the concentration camp of sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and neglect. And we talked, I mentioned that we've stirred it up. So of course all you can do is cry and can't breathe because it's all stirred up now, all that trauma, all that stuff. Would you say, would you describe yourself the way Lance described himself uh, Rebecca, insofar as you've forgotten sections of your childhood, or did you always know it and just kept it locked down? I remember some, but what I've noticed is right now one door closes and another memory is coming up yep. with EMDR. Yep. And I'm not handling it well. Right. And um, because it's overwhelming you, if I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah. Okay. Um, the thing that I find most curious in your entire bio that you sent us, the most curious, apart from the fact that it all came up when you ended the relationship. So clearly the end of the relationship, I'm guessing was painful for you. Is that correct? Yeah. All right. So that was the final straw that broke the camel's back and there was no more room in the vault. Everything just, it just cracked open. And now you got a broken vault door and it's all coming out all the fucking time. And unfortunately, with that much trauma, with that much abuse, you, it basically has to become a full-time job. This work, you can't dose it anymore because there's no vault on the door on the vault to shut it to give yourself room to breathe, right? And um, let me ask you, just out of curiosity, do you journal at all? And it's okay if you don't. I'm just curious. I journal. I actually journal every day, all day long. Good. Okay. And do you journal about... Um, you know, how you're feeling and the memories you're having, or what are you generally journaling I, about? I journal about the feelings and then um, I try to do the letter writing, mm -hmm. but it's kind of like right now, I'm kind of awkward because I feel like I'm doing something wrong. You're not, you're not. And as long um, as, and as long as you're journaling, you're not doing anything wrong. And even if you're taking a break yeah. from journaling, you're still not doing anything wrong. You're encountering massive fucking trauma. Don't, you don't need to judge yourself like that. But the fact that you do judge yourself like that really leads to the biggest question of your entire bio. I have to ask you, you had all this uh, abuse in your childhood and you, you make the statement, all I can do is cry and blame myself for my childhood, my life, and my kids' trauma. I have to know, what precisely did you do as a child you say you blame yourself for your childhood. What precisely did you do to cause sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and neglect? I guess I think I should have known better. Rebecca, there is zero possibility. Zero. Not 
not one half of 1%. There is 0% chance that a six-year-old, an eight-year-old, 12-year-old is at fault for sexual abuse, physical abuse, neglect, emotional abuse. Zero chance. There was literally zero fault of yours for everything that was done to you. Zero. You were a fucking child. You were a child. That little girl that you were was good, was lovely, she was sweet, she was kind, she was creative, she was smart, and all that stuff. I don't even need to know what the specifics were of all that stuff. It wasn't your fault. But the mere fact that you think you should be, you're, you might be doing something wrong in your journaling, the mere fact that you blame yourself for your childhood means that you've been conditioned to believe your entire childhood that you're the fucking problem. And it was bullshit from the beginning. You, you didn't come out of the womb that way. No child does. You had zero power. Zero. And the big people in your life had all the power. And this stuff was done to you. You are literally the textbook definition of a victim. Now, the truth is, Lance was too. Being a guy, it's a harder pill to swallow sometimes. But the adults in the room took and took and took. And in your case, neglect as well. They just left you. And so you know what a child's brain does? A child's brain does things like, well, that other stuff is more important. That's why mommy goes or um, daddy's hitting me. It must be because I'm bad. And if mommy's going all the time, that must be important. I'm less important. I don't matter. Or if I'm being sexually abused, what did I do to make it happen? That's what a child's brain does. And you know what's fucked up? That's what adult brains do too. So we can all, we do. If, if somebody breaks up with me, it's like, oh my God, I must have done something wrong. Or what's wrong? With, see, we do it as adults. Imagine a child's brain that doesn't even have sort of the notion of rationality or the ability to differentiate myself from another person or to realize, wait a minute, this may be their shit. Child doesn't have that ability. So the child naturally filters it through. Everything goes through the filter in a child's brain of I am good or I am bad. Okay. And your brain went straight to I am bad. You've likely been blaming yourself your entire life. Let me ask you this question, Rebecca. As you've been thinking about it lately, and, and it changes, I'm sure, and it will change even more. What's the one thing about your childhood, your upbringing, what's the hardest part right now? There was no love. Mm -hmm. It was just the bare necessities, housing, food, and shelter. Mm. I'm going to ask you a very hard question, Rebecca. And you can tell me to go fuck myself, and you know I won't be offended. It's okay, all right? And I in no way... And we're going to do even one thing that would even one ounce hurt you in any way. So if you don't want to answer the question, don't answer the question. It's okay. All right. But the question is simply this. If there was no love in your childhood, other than the bare necessities, there was no love. So you go into adulthood then um, largely with an empty love cup. Okay. Then you said you, you know, had a marriage and have children have you in any way used your children to get love and uh, love poured into your love cup and to get your love needs met? And I don't mean in any sick way. I mean like no. attention, affection, kind words, 
uh, hugs, kisses, and so forth. Has there, have you done that? No. So some stuff happened with one of my kids and I actually, um, I'm, a, I give them love and affection, but not overwhelmed. I actually am at a point where I hold them at a distance to keep them safe from I'm you. more of the, the oh. yeah. Well, and from life, I'm more of like the mama bear. So you keep them at a distance from life. Let me ask you this. How would your children describe you? Would they describe you as distant? Would they describe you as highly affectionate? Would they describe you as quiet? Would they describe you as volatile? How would they describe you? Probably distant. And the re if that's true, and it may not be true, you know, I... Rob, Rob describes me as smart sometimes, and I know he's totally full of shit. I'm an idiot. All right. So sometimes perceptions aren't true, but let me ask you, if you are distant, if we just run with that for a minute, that you are distant from your kids, because you said, you know, you're, you keep them distant from the world, but now you're saying you're distant from them, or at least that's how they perceive you. And let me, let me ask you, if you are in fact distant from them, what is the reason? Is it because you don't want to hurt them? You fear you might hurt them? Or what's the reason you're distant from your kids? You're crying right now. What are you feeling? What are you feeling right now, Rebecca? Talk to me. What are you feeling? It's good. Shame. Just shame because so it has to do with my mom's husband. My stepdad did something to my daughter. And when that happened, I don't know what happened. I just, I feel like if I get, to, I'm going to lose something I love. If you get too close, uh -huh. if you get too close to your daughter when something bad was done to her by your stepdad, that you might lose something you love. What did you fear losing? Help me understand. You're doing great, Rebecca. What did fear you fear losing? I feared like my whole life. My kids are my life. And the way that it happened and the way I was getting attacked by my whole family, I thought that their next step was going to be to take my kids from me. And so why would that cause you to not get closer to your daughter in that moment of her greatest need? Help me understand. Because, because I was, I'm still under the impression that if I get too close, it's going to do more trauma to her when like something happens. If I, if something happens to me, if some, if they get taken away, stuff like that. So it's better to keep her distant from you. So you know, so the pain doesn't increase in case she loses you. It's better for you to be distant. And you're saying you feel shame over that. So in other words, you feel like that was not the right decision. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. What do you What do you wish you would have done in that moment? Told her it wasn't her fault. And then I, I mean, I've told her it wasn't her fault, but just giving her more love. It's not too late, Rebecca. It's not too late. I'm working on it. It's gotten. I've gotten more. It's just, I hate to have to tell her that I'm some, I tell her like I'm working on myself so we can be better. And sometimes it's hard. And I told her it's not her burden to bear, you know, but I'm getting, like you said, I'm overwhelmed right now. Mm -hmm. Have you been keeping her safe from? her stepdad since then? Yeah, it's been, Excellent. I've had to, there's... Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. 
And is she in therapy presently? She's been in therapy since she was four. Okay. Um, how just how many years ago was it that this happened with the stepfather? Four years. Four years ago. And how old is your uh, daughter? Twelve. Twelve. Okay. Let's just take a pause. Rebecca, Lance, we'll be back. More to come right now, but let's take a quick break. So I was telling a buddy of mine how he seems happier. He told me about the book that changed his life. So I bit. I went to the Badass Counseling website and downloaded There's a Hole in My Love Cup audiobook. I started listening to it on my commute home from work, and holy cow, it was a Louisville slugger to the face. I literally sat in my car in the driveway night after night, listening through to the end of a chapter or doing the journaling exercises. My wife started to see changes. I started to change a lot. My default response stopped always being anger. Now, I manage a team of salespeople, and I changed as a leader. I was listening more, not always just reacting. When their numbers started going up seemingly out of nowhere, I knew what the reason was. There's a hole in my love cup is now required listening for any person on my sales team or working for me, and I gladly buy it for them. You gotta listen to this book. This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass. And we are back with the Badass Counseling Show. We are talking to Rebecca and Lance, and Rebecca just dropped a bombshell about her daughter uh, having some sort of very bad encounter with Rebecca's own stepfather, and how Rebecca has since been keeping her daughter safe, which we are all very much uh, applauding her for. But wrestling with the shame, wrestling with the shame that she uh, went distant when her daughter uh, was sort of most in need, but she's recovering now and, and telling her daughter that it wasn't her fault and um, getting closer to her daughter in that regard. Lance, I want to come over to you just out of curiosity. Lance, what's going on inside of you when you're listening to Rebecca's story there? I'm very proud of for, uh, for her that she's looking after her daughter for sure. Um, cause I have the same feelings with my kids. You, um, you mentioned that you said your kids are very angry with you. And, um, first of all, how old are your kids and why are they angry with you, Lance? Uh, well, my son is 23 and my daughter is 20. So both adult and my stepson is 15. Um, they, it's been a hard goal for them. Like when their mom and I got divorced, they were, you know, in that sort of very important years of their life, nine and 12, I guess they were. And I know that that was very hard on them. Why are they um, mad at you? I mean, surely they understand divorce is unfortunately part of many people's lives. Why are they angry at you? You say they are very angry. If you, if you, I were to ask them and they were to put it in one sentence, what are they most angry with you about? Um, just with the way that I handled myself when uh, their mom and I were getting divorced. And how did you handle um, yourself? What what would they mean by that? What are we talking about? I'm not proud of it, um, but I, you know, I was, um, well, I was, I was very angry with my wife. She uh, cheated on me and she still denies it to this day, but it. <laughs> so why are the kids mad at you? 
What precisely did you do that they're so angry at you for? The one night they both saw, like I was holding my wife's phone. I said, show me he's not in here. Show me he's not in this in your phone right now. And because there was a text like a couple of days prior that said, come spend the night with me from the, from the guy that she's not with. And I was so upset. And she, my wife, ex-wife now, she slapped me across the face because, well, I, I guess I was kind of out of control. And I threw her phone into the bed and then I punched the door as I was leaving the bedroom like because I would never hit her ever. And I mean that. Um, but I, I shouldn't have done that. Wait, my kids wait, 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 stop. I need to know I have a sequence of events accurate. You challenge her on there. Show me the text in here because you had seen where the guy had invited her over to sleep with her. And you're angry and you're pushing her on, show me the fucking text. What the hell's going on here is basically what you're saying. She, physic- yeah. she physically strikes you. Yeah. You throw bed, you throw phone into the bed, you punch a hole in the door and you storm out. Am I hearing you correctly? Yes. And likely shouted some epithets or something as you were leaving. Like, fuck you, you whore, you know, things like that. I don't know, something along those lines. I'm sure your mouth was going as well. Is that correct? That's correct. I don't, yeah, I don't remember. It's a long time ago. And what precisely, I, I, I'm just curious, and, and if your children are 12 and 9, that's going to be extraordinarily traumatic. The entire sequence of events, not the least of which is, holy shit, mom just cheated on dad. They don't believe it. Yeah, and, and uh, in a way... There's not a goddamn thing you can do about that. And whether they believe that or not, it's unfortunate and it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Yeah. Um, because right. it happened. And whether they believe it or not, it's likely in part, especially at ages 12 and 9 and now at 23 and 20, they perhaps can't bring themselves to believe it. And no doubt she has done quite a good job of uh, counter-messaging that. However, what we're yes, losing sight of in all of this is she struck you. It was not in self-defense. You said I would never hit her. She physically, domestic violence hit you. Period, end of story. All bets are fucking off at that point. Now, I'm not saying you need to sell this to your kids. Your kids are kids. And kids will evolve. And the day will come when they will see it through adult eyes. And the day will come where if your wife is lying, kids eventually grow up and see through who people are, who they present as, but then who they are. Her patterns will reveal eventually. Your patterns will reveal eventually. But the thing we can't miss in all of this is that someone was struck. That is domestic violence. I don't care if you are six foot 10, 320 pounds, and she's five foot one. I don't care. Expressing your anger physically is not okay. If it had been the other way, you would have been in jail. All right? You're obviously from Canada, that thick accent. I don't know Canadian laws, but I have to believe you would likely be in jail. Now, you didn't call the police on her, but what what your kids seem to not realize is they witnessed domestic violence against you by their mother. Okay. Now, what's fascinating about this whole equation is that you talk about, I shouldn't have done this, I should have handled this differently, I should, I should, I, I fucked up. You know, some of the, the guilt, shame stuff that uh, Rebecca was talking about. And yet, interestingly, we're, you are missing the fact that you were hit. Does that justify what you did? No, but 
What the fuck? You were hit. Right. You had just, you were calling her out on being cheated on and you're being hit and you're being gaslighted because she's fucking denying it. Yeah. You did not strike her back. You made that clear. I, I want to honor you for your forbearance in not striking her back. Not that that would have been justified at all, but I'm saying what right. the fuck with her. So just for the moment, for all of our listeners who think domestic violence against men is okay, is not as bad, or when we see a woman strike a man on TV that somehow that's okay, it's not. Right. It's not okay for anyone to express themselves, their anger physically on another person. End of story, done. Okay, back to this. What I wanna know in all of this is, um, what has been your relationship with your children subsequent to the divorce? Initially, uh, after we separated and I was in my own place, it was okay. We were sharing 50-50 custody and it was going okay. And then it just slowly got bled off and bled off. Um, my, my ex was um, good to me for the most part until I got into a relationship with my current wife. And, um, and then it just got net worse and worse and the kids my daughter uh, eventually just the days she'd say oh i want to stay a couple extra nights at mom's and then it pretty pretty soon it was non-existent okay and now they are 20 and 23 so now anytime you have with them is voluntary um so if i'm hearing you correctly uh your ex-wife if I'm hearing you correctly, and I'm going to use my words and you correct my words if I'm wrong, okay? Okay. That basically yeah. she did everything in her power to A, pour poison into your kids' ears and also to drive a wedge between the kids and their father and bleed off your time with your kids. Is that accurate, semi-accurate, or completely inaccurate? No, completely accurate. Okay. And... Uh, I have a lot of listeners and clients who have lived through the same thing, um, whether as men or as women. It's just that, unfortunately, too often we don't believe it when it's happening to the man, uh, also the uh, domestic violence part. But here's the problem, Lance. Your depression precedes this relationship, precedes your last relationship, precedes your relationship with your kids. Your depression, your slump goes all the way back to childhood, Lance. All the way back there because you have been getting the message since you were a fucking child that you don't matter. Your mom's needs, the needs of the house, it was conveyed uh, by mom, confirmed by dad, normalized by dad, by your siblings, that you existed to meet their needs. Rebecca, what are your thoughts, your thoughts as you're listening to Lance's story? I don't know. There's that part of me that I come from divorced parents and I see, I guess, not saying this has happened. I just see manipulation with the kids because that's what happened to me. It, and it's not right. And right. he matters. And the truth, I guess I just see his kids need to know the truth and it just sucks. Yeah. And and he's yeah. uh, he says they don't want to believe. They don't believe that mom uh, this and mom did that and so forth. And Having been through quite a bit of that myself, I can tell you in both, uh, for both of you, even though the circumstances are very different for each of you, that if you continue to maintain the course of bringing love to your children, which also requires you doing the healing work on yourself, but if you continue to bring the love and to bring that consistency and to bring that stability and to continue to 
not fight for yourself with regard to them. Like I need my side of the story to be heard. And I held on to my side of the story in my, um, at the end of my divorce, the first one. And I was convinced that I would have the day where I'd be able to get justice or I'd tell my story and then I would be vindicated. Then I would be justified. Then the world would see the story. And I held on to that for about 11 years. And I was doing all my fucking journaling shit and all that. And, and then I just reached a point where the metaphor I like to use is, and I'm not saying I necessarily recommend this for anyone else. I'm just telling you what I did. The metaphor I like to use is imagine two enemy armies on opposite sides of a river. And my camp is on one side and I told all my generals and all my soldiers, load up the semis with all of our ammunition and all of our weapons, load up the semis and, and all of our bombs and everything. And we loaded up the semis and we drove it across the bridge into the middle of the enemy camp. And we left the keys in the semis and we all walked back. And the words that rang through my head when I did that in 2007, the words that rang through my head were the words of uh, Chief Joseph of the Nez Perce Native Americans from back in, I want to say the uh, late 1800s, mid 1800s. And he said, I shall fight no more forever. I got sick of fighting. I got sick of hanging on to the bitterness. I got sick of hanging on to the injustice, even though I knew I was right. Even though I knew I had fought to do what's right, I got sick of holding on to it because it was like that cloud inside of me of the bitterness, but also just the desire for justice. I knew it was a cloud over my children's head, even though I was, I never, when my children were young, I never besmirched their mother uh, to them, never, and never raised my voice at them and so forth. Um, but I was, I was not a great parent and I just decided to let it go. And that I'm, I choose to lose in the short term. I choose to lose. And that's a weird thing to say. And then I kept trying to bring love and I ate some shit justifiably from my kids, whatever, but I just tried to be an instrument of love in their lives to the degree that they would allow it. And then by the time they hit their twenties and now in their late twenties and thirties, my kids and I <laughs> have great relationships, great just spent time with them in Italy. My son's coming this weekend to pick up his dog. His dog spends the entire summer with, with us uh, in the New York City area because our dog likes to play with our dogs and so forth. And good things take time. Uh, but I had to personally let go of that. And so the question I want to get at with you guys is this. What do you think is the biggest issue that each of you is going to answer two questions? And I'm going to write it each down just so I have it clear. So Rebecca Lance, what is the single biggest unhealed wound from your childhood? And what is the single biggest problem that you are dealing with right now immediately in your life today? Lance, you want to go first? Uh, just uh, missing out on those years being a kid, you know, not having to deal with looking after my mom. Missing out on those years of just being a kid and having to look after your mom. Okay, fair. Now, single biggest issue today. Today, um, just not having a relationship with my adult children that I should be having. I, I love them both dearly. And well, it's mainly my daughter, my son and I are on sort of on the mend. It's coming around. So, all right. And Rebecca, your turn, single biggest issue in one sentence or less that you believe is the biggest, deepest, hardest issue from your childhood and the single biggest issue in your life presently that you're dealing with? I would say that 
I don't know myself. I didn't know myself in my childhood. It was mm. external validation, and it's that still affects me today. Okay. And do you believe that's your biggest issue today, or is there something else uh, that you, that's really kicking your ass today? That's kicking my ass. I have my caregivers' voices programmed in my head that I'm not good enough. And as a result, uh, and that bleeds into everything in life, doesn't it? You judge yourself in mm -hmm. everything, especially, as you yeah. said, you know, your parenting. And both of you have that fear, you know, your relationship with your kids. But um, let me ask you this question. And it's, it's not a fair question on one hand, but it's an honest question. You may have even heard me ask it before. And I'm going to ask you first, Rebecca, if you could have your children have healed and healthy lives, uh, but you wouldn't get a relationship with them. Or you could have a relationship with them, but they would not have healed lives. Which would you choose? Them having healed lives. Hmm. What about you, Lance? What do you pick? Oh, yeah, I would say the same for me. I want them to be, uh, you know, have healthy relationships with them themselves. Love it. Okay, that's that's excellent. In the case of both you guys, you have the greatest impact on your kids. You can keep bringing the love to the degree you're able right now, but the greatest long term impact you are going to have on your kids is to heal your shit. And the shit that I'm talking about is that shit from childhood. Lance, even though, uh, you know, Rebecca talks about sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, neglect, okay? Sort of checked all the boxes there. And you don't talk about sexual abuse um, and physical abuse. Was there sexual or physical abuse in your home, Lance? No. No, right. And, and, so, and yet the issues really are so much the same the wounding of the child and the being taught that I don't matter. You got the exact same message that Rebecca got. You don't matter. Hers was driven in with nails and, and so to speak, I mean, you know, sexual abuse, physical abuse and, and so forth. But a child is a child. And to get the message is to get the message. And both of you have massive depression from that childhood. And, and let me ask you, uh, Lance, I'm just curious if you were to be totally honest, what percent in your life generally, um, well, let's say in your first 20 years, did you ever hate yourself? And if so, what percent did you hate yourself? I don't think I hated myself, but okay. I, there would be a, maybe a small percentage there, and maybe 20, 25% at the most. 20, 25%. Okay. And let me ask you this other question then. Um, to what degree in your life, what percentage in your life overall are you self-critical? <laughs> oh, there uh, it is. Hundred percent. I'm I'm very hard on myself. And where do you think that comes from? Why is that? Did you come out of the womb saying, "God, my toes are so fucking ugly"? You know, I mean, where did this hundred percent self-critical come from? I don't know, Sven. Man, I was I your just, old man. I, was your old man critical? Uh, yeah, he was. Yeah. Okay. Was your mom critical? Maybe she wasn't. No, I don't think so. I think... What do you think happens in a child's mind when he's spending his life taking care of everyone else? What do you think the child's mind does? Or taking care of this person who's sick? I'm not saying it necessarily goes to self-criticism. I'm just curious. What happened inside of you or what do you think happens in a child when, they, when they've got this massive sort of thing, elephant in, in, in the living room, and they're required for taking care of the elephant in the living room, you know, this massive thing. I, I got to do this. I got to do this right. I got to do this, do a good job with this. 
And the reason you got to do a good job of it is because why? I mean, why? What would have happened if you didn't, Lance? I would have felt bad. And let me ask you, would any of the adults in the room have contributed to your feeling bad that you didn't do your job? Uh, possibly, I guess, yeah. What would have been said? Or what would have happened if you would have just not taken care of your mom? Well, why didn't you, you know, why didn't you help? Why didn't you call me? Or why didn't you tell me she was doing something wrong? Or, you know what I mean? Like, Okay, so the expectations were clear. Yeah. And there would have at least been some uh, verbal tongue lashing, that sort of thing. Uh, and so 100% self-critical. Rebecca, what about you? As a kid, let's say under 20, did you ever experience self-hatred? Yeah. I want to say it's probably 75%. 75% self-hatred. What percent in the years since then, you say you're 43 now, so in the 23 years since, I said first 20 years, what about the last 23 years? What's been your average level of self-hatred? Maybe it's zero. I don't know. I don't, I'm just asking. I would say right now, it, I think it's the same. Same. 75. 75. And as far as your self-critical, like I asked Lance, what's your percentage of self-critical in your life? 100, same as him, 100. <laughs> All right. So we're seeing some themes here. All right. Who in your mind, Rebecca, committed the greatest crime against you, whatever that crime was. Maybe it was the actual sexual abuse, or maybe it was tolerating it, or maybe it was someone turning their back on you and neglecting you, whatever. Who committed the greatest crime against you, and what really was that crime? My mom. And what did your mom do or not do? Protect me. Right. From who or what, above all else? Everyone, even herself. Okay. In your life... What has been, and your answer can be anything you want, it can be 0%, 100%, 2%, 43%, anything you want. What percent in your life have, uh, overall, have you hated your mom? I would say I hate my mom probably. It's 50-50. I want to love her, but I hate her. And the thing you hate her for most is what? <laughs> it's just freaking evil evil and didn't protect you. Right. And isn't it fascinating? And you want to love her. I have to believe in part because a, it's your mom, but what does that really mean? We always want that relationship with a parent. Why do we want that? Cause we want the love that we never fucking got. We want that relationship. We want that mother love. We want that fatherly love that we never got. And a part of you is still holding out for that at 43 and God bless you. I completely understand why. Please just give me the love. It's that little six-year-old girl. Please just love me. I'll do anything. Please, please protect me. Please, I'll do anything, right? But the most fascinating part in your equation, Rebecca, is that the most you can bring yourself to hate your mom is 50%. Yet you have no problems hating yourself your entire life, 75%. You have been conditioned to hate yourself more than you hate the people who did this shit to you. The person who committed the biggest crime against you by your own words was your mother. She didn't protect me and she was evil. And the most you can bring yourself to hate her is 50%. And I'm sorry, I hate her 100%. Forgive me, but I do. Don't know her, don't fucking care. You don't protect your fucking child, fuck off. You, you commit evil against your child, fuck off. You teach your child to hate herself, fuck off. It's not okay that you were taught to hate yourself, to see yourself as part, as the problem. You were not the problem. It was not your fault. 
It was all the fuckers around you. Top of the list, her. By your own admission. I'm telling you what you need to go into, Rebecca, what you need to be journaling on today, this week, this month, what you need to be using some of the other techniques I talk about in the book on right now, today, this week, this month, is hatred. Who do I hate? Let that child for once have her voice heard. You now have a responsibility to eight-year-old, 18-year-old you, that you are finally strong enough to let her authentic feelings out because she had to stick them into the vault because it wasn't safe. She would have gotten mangled, fried, seared, toasted, stabbed, skewered in every way possible if she had let her real feelings out. So she saved. That was her most sacred thing, her authentic responses to all the shit being done to her. You are strong enough now, and the favor you do for her is to release those feelings so that you can finally be free of them. Lance, I want to come back to you. I want to come back to you. Who committed the greatest crime against you in your life? And what was the crime? I actually want to say it was my dad. And And I say that because I don't feel like he handled the situation like with mom, like he should have been. He was too worried about looking after the farm and, you know, everything else outside and wasn't taking care of, you know, his wife. And... And so when you say he didn't handle it and he should have taken care of his wife, if he had taken care of his wife, if he had done differently, what would have been the impact on you? Well, then I could have just been the kid like I was supposed to be. Right. And that message that you don't matter, if he had handled it and taken care of it, then that message would have been, you matter and I'm going to protect my son, my sons. And they are going to get their childhood and they're not going to, they're not going to, locked down five years of their lives because it was so scary and it was so out of control that if they had done their fucking job, you wouldn't have five years of pain and, and fear locked down. The key to your healing, Lance, is for you to go in that vault and begin to look at, begin to feel and allow out. Start with just the feelings. Even if you, you said, I don't have the memories from seven to 12. Well, actually you do. At the very least, you remember the feelings. And actually, it's the feelings that are even more important than the memories themselves. But I guarantee you began to unlock those feelings. And you listed for me, scared, specifically that mom would commit suicide. You were scared. I I have to believe if if the household is out of control, a lot of fear. You said you just wanted to get the hell out of there, wanting to run, right? And also the pain, fear of disappointing. Think about this, Lance, just for the record, If the responsibility for taking care of mom was on you, and if mom had committed suicide, who would have been to blame in Lance's head? Me. Exactly. Your mom's life was put in your hands, and you would have blamed yourself. And and no adult alive, no one with a sane mind would have ever blamed that child if a mother with bipolar disease, struggling to stay alive and so forth. No one, no adult with any measure of sanity would have blamed you, but you would have blamed yourself. And you had the weight yeah. of your mother's life in your fucking hands. You want to talk about irresponsible parenting? Bingo. That's a bingo. Yeah. You held your mother's life in your hands. You tell me you weren't fucking afraid. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that you, right off the top, Biggest thing today, this week, this month that you need to be journaling on is the fear that you felt your entire childhood. Not just the sadness over the loss of your childhood, but the fear. And I have to believe the anger, especially at your father. 
and, and, but allow the anger at your mom and her disease as well. Because here's the thing, it's very much like addiction. I did a video of this, oh gosh, year and a half ago or so, and it was snowing. I just remember in the video, it's snowing. And I was talking about addiction and I've had a lot of clients over the years who've struggled with addiction of all sorts. And one of the hardest parts about addiction is that the person, we don't realize it, but the person we're mad at when we really think about it, isn't the one who's on the drugs. It's not the, or if it's a sickness and we're mad at mom for her sickness, which is perfectly okay to feel. What we're really most mad at is mom, not when she's sick, but mom when she's medicated, mom when she's level. We're not most mad at the, at the person when they're hopped up on Coke or whatever, the drugs or pills. We're most mad at them when they're not that. Do you want to know? And I tell that to people who have family members who have a disease or family members or lovers who um, are, have addictions. They say, Sven, that makes no fucking sense. That's the one I love the most. When mom was sane, when mom was normal, when my lover is, is not drunk, that's the one I love the most. No, that's the one you hate the most. And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? I say, because that's the one that doesn't get help. That's the one that doesn't go to rehab. That's the one that doesn't stay in rehab. Fuck you, mom. You were sane. You were fucking sane at times and you didn't take your fucking medication. Yep. That's right. There is enough anger inside of there. There's enough hurt and sadness inside of there that that little boy just wanted to be happy, just wanted this responsibility off his plate. You, somewhere in you, it registered that your mom's life was in your fucking hands. You and I both know, all three of us know goddamn well that no child should feel that burden, right? Both of you have love cups full of, uh, you know, a few different things. I mean, Rebecca, clearly hatred, clearly hatred. And you need to be journaling the fuck out of that, writing letters of hatred as well as love to your mom. Because you said, I, I want to love her. And maybe that, maybe saying I want to really is saying I don't anymore or something, or maybe I do, but only because I want love and I'm never going to fucking get it. And I got to let you go, mom, whatever it is. It's time to flush it out. And these are letters you don't give to the person because if you think you might give it to them, you're going to start fucking editing that shit. You guys have heard me say it a million times. No editing, okay? I want you to flush this. And in your case, Lance, a childhood of fear, a childhood of pain, a childhood of sadness, childhood of loss, a childhood of the message, I don't matter. You got the exact same message, Rebecca. I don't matter. I'm a piece of shit. You've been criticizing yourself ever since, and it's not true. Let, just out of curiosity, a, a, a final question here uh, for you, Lance, uh, just out of curiosity, what was the message you got, whether either explicit or implicit? Uh, it's clear the one that Rebecca got. What was the message you got regarding your value? Did you get the message you are good, you're valuable, you're you know, a great member to have on the team, or was it you're no good or you're not good enough or you're a piece of shit? Or did you get any value messages as far as your worth? Uh Oddly enough, I, yeah, dad, you know, he was hard on us, made us work hard, but he, you know, he was proud of us when we worked hard. I, I will good. say that. That's good. That's good. So then as far as the binary gates are concerned in my book, where I talk about the three binary gates and the three primary messages, the first one is I'm wanted, I'm not wanted. The second one is I'm good or I'm not good enough or I'm no good. And then the third one, the most powerful one is who I really am matters and who I really am doesn't matter. My voice, my feelings, my needs don't matter. 
And so in your case, Lance, which of the binary gates would you say got closed in childhood? The first two, for sure. And then the third one, um, yeah, that, that often wasn't the case. So the first two of I'm not wanted and I'm not good enough? Oh, I maybe I said that backwards. Okay. So yeah, I got, I got them flipped. I got them flipped. Sorry. Okay. So did you, were you, did you get the message that you were wanted? Yes. Did you get the message that you were good enough or that you're good or that you're not good enough or no good? Uh, it was sort of, you didn't really get anything for that. Gotcha. It's just sort of. And then the final one of who you really are matters and that your feelings, your wants, your needs matter or don't matter. Which message? My needs got met, but not um, not a lot of my emotional stuff. Though, right, right. And obviously your need, everything is subject to your mom and all of her needs and that your life got uh, sort of put on hold or put away. Rebecca, I'm going to flip that one over to you. Of the three binary gates in your case, which ones got closed as, child, as a child? All three of them. Yeah, it sounds like it. Sounds like it. And all of that pain for both you guys, all that pain has to come out. All of that... The pain, the anger, the fear in your case, Lance, the, the hatred in your case, Rebecca, and there's all the other feelings as well, but there has to be deliberate focus on those and giving them voice. And every time you write about it, every time you talk about it with your therapist, every time uh, you write a letter, every time you use Sedona method, which uh, you hear me talk about in, in my book, which is not my method. I don't get anything for it, but it's a, a, one of many effective tools I talk about in my book. Um, the more you use it, every time you use that, every time you journal, every time you talk about your authentic feelings, you are confirming the message, God damn it, I matter. My feelings matter. My needs, who I really am matters. Because if you didn't matter, you wouldn't be talking about it. You wouldn't finally be giving yourself voice. You wouldn't be giving a voice to that eight-year-old. So by you giving that eight-year-old a voice now and letting those authentic feelings, needs, wants out, you are shouting to the heavens, I matter. You are rewriting the script of your lives. Does that make any sense at all? Yeah. Yeah. All right. You have been incredible guests with such very, very powerful stories. I want to thank you both so much for being on this show. You may feel like, you know, what was it like for the listener? I, you know, we all think about, I think about that. That's our job that I'm trying to heal you, but I've also got other people listening and I can tell you sure as fact, a whole lot of people were resonating with your stories today. A whole lot of people were vibing off the fact that you had the courage to tell your stories. The extraordinary pain, Rebecca, Lance, as a man, telling about being alienated from your kids and, and getting the short end of the stick because you were hit um, but also this childhood where you lost your childhood, both of you, such courage and so many people resonate with that and are learning from your choices and from what we're talking about today. So I want to thank you for the gift that you have given to us by being on the show today. Thank you so much for being on the show. And on behalf of Rob and Casey on the booth, I want to thank every one of you for tuning in to the Badass Counseling Show. Have a kick-ass day. The Badass Counseling Show is strictly copyrighted. No copies may be made without the express written consent of the Badass Counseling Show, LLC. The Badass Counseling Show is produced by Karen Camparelli and Robert H. Friedman. Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day. Hey.